0: I really don't know where to start. Do you know what? I genuinely believe the story you're going to hear today, if you choose to listen, might just be one of the most mind-blowing, remarkable business stories that I think I'll probably ever get to tell. My guest today is nothing short of astonishing. And you know, when I do these intros, of course, my job is to market this podcast so that you listen, but I think this is more me begging you to listen, because in all my years in business, I've not heard a story quite like this. Today's guest is Dame Stephanie Shirley. She fled a Nazi regime at five years old and came to the UK with absolutely no family. No friends, no parents, no nothing. And one might expect someone in that circumstance to fall by the wayside. But Stephanie had other plans. With just £6 in her pocket, she founded a female-first software company, which was ahead of its time in almost every respect. It allowed its 90% female workforce to work flexibly from home. It pioneered software that would change the world. And all of this in a male-dominated world that was the 1960s. Stephanie's company became a multi-billion dollar company. I'm not sure if you're hearing me, a multi-billion dollar company, right? And she founded this company in the 1960s when women weren't even allowed to establish a company without their husband's signature. The company is a software company, again, a heavily male-dominated industry, and it was sold for 2.3 billion pounds. She might just be the most successful female entrepreneur this country has ever seen. And she's now 86 years old. So I traveled across the country to go and meet her at her home in Henley, to sit down with her and uncover her truth, to peer into her diary, and to ask her the things that we all want to know. Wow. Without further ado, I'm Stephen Bartlett, and this is The Diary of a CEO. I hope nobody is listening. But if you are, then please keep this to yourself. Dame Stephanie Shirley, I I think the first question I have to ask you because of a few things that I read online is, what do you want to be called today?
1: (laughs) Ah, well, I'm always called Dame Stephanie if you're prepared to do a bow or curtsy if you're a girl. (laughs) Um, But if you're not prepared to do that, then you just call me Steve. Steve. And I've been called Steve for many, many years simply because Stephanie didn't get any appointments when I wrote letters under the name of Stephanie. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted to see me Mm -hmm. Um, because I date from the days when women were not expected to do serious things, perhaps run a little cat shop or something like that. Mm -hmm. But in the 50s and 60s, women were not expected to run a financial services company or a software house or anything, really what I call serious
0: business. Your story is, is tremendous and it goes back, you know, a long way. So I, I didn't know where the best place to start would be. And typically <laughs> with, with, with the guests that we have on this podcast, I kind of have an idea of where the, the most relevant or pertinent place to start is. But with you, I wanted you to tell me where, where your story should start and what the sort of most relevant beginning is.
1: Well, the film that's being made of, of my book, Um, is focused very much on the years in business, and there were 40 of those. Mm -hmm. Um, But especially in the early days, it was predominantly um, female-oriented. It was a policy to use female. It was one of the earliest high-tech companies set up in 1962. And then if we talk about, uh, you know, if we think about what motivates me to work in the way that I do, because Work is not just something I do when I'd rather be doing something else. I love my work, and I think you do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's simply that that workaholism, and I know it's not fashionable to talk about that any these days, um, but really it dates from my traumatic childhood, and that has motivated me um, because my life was saved from the Holocaust, Um, really motivated me today as it was 70, 80 years ago, to make sure that mine was a life that was worth saving, so the kinder transport, which was the rescue mission that, that brought me out of Nazi Europe, um, is still current as far as i 'm concerned because it 's what drives me what can I do today, what can i what is it that I can offer um, at my age with my skills um, to make the world a better
0: place, and was that the the reason? why, Because uh, again, I'm I, so a lot of the things I'm going to say are incredibly naive, right? For obvious reasons, because you know, <laughs> I I'm I'm uh, I was born in ninety two, um, yeah. and going back to the very start of your entrepreneurial endeavours, mm-hmm. was the reason you started your business because of that? Because you felt that you needed to do something with your life, that because it was saved. Or was it because you saw a problem in the world that you felt you could solve?
1: It it was very much a feminist issue, that I'd been patronised as a Jew, and I I was not going to be patronised as a woman. And at that time, women were not allowed legally to do certain things. You couldn't work on the stock exchange, you couldn't... Take out a higher purchase agreement. You couldn't um, drive a bus or fly an aeroplane. And I couldn't even open the company's bank account without getting my husband's signature. You needed male authorization. So women were very much second-class citizens. And I began to get very fed up with that and uh, was really a battling for equal pay and, and opportunities and fighting to be allowed to do what I wanted to do. Um, so that was the original motivation. It was very much for wo- women. It was a social business. I did not go into business to make money. I went into business to offer opportunities for women. And and why you though? Because I'm, why not me? I mean, that's the, the classic question, Stephen.
0: I, I, the reason I ask that question is I'm like so many people were exist existed in that same environment of of you know gender oppression, shall I say. I'm trying to understand why it was you that took on that fight and why you felt you had the confidence to take on... Well,
1: maybe it is something to do with, with the kinder transport story um, because there's a high proportion of um, British companies, at least, something like 7% are founded by immigrants. Mm-hmm. And you think, why should that be? And it's partly because um, we're subject to discrimination, perhaps... Partly because we can bring something from, our, from one country to another with a higher possibility of success. But also, I think, because we've become very cussed, driven people. Mm-hmm. And that with the sort that if somebody says no, the more they say no, I want to do it, the more I want to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. And, I, and I heard that you were, um, I read that you were uh, adopted from your... Fostered. Fostered from your biological yeah. parents. What, what role did that, do you think, that, Uh, event played in your later life and also your entrepreneurial um, journey? Well, in
1: my later life, um, the Holocaust is is slipping from human memory. So in the last few years, I've tried to do more about talking about National Holocaust, Memorial Day and things like that. But I'm not Jewish in culture. I've lost anything that ever was um, Jewish in my family. And I'm really the child of my foster parents in all but birth. Mm -hmm. And so I'm pretty traditionally English. Um, I'm a very, I'm a patriot. I really love this country with um, a passion that perhaps only someone who has lost their human rights can feel. Um, And that is a driver for me.
0: Mm -hmm. And in those early days, it almost boggles my mind, you know, because in in my industry in the technology industry in the social media industry there there's all there's still conversations around how hard it is for women to break through yeah. i mean if you look at the the you know the the boards of the big sort of tech technology firms it's still pathetic completely you know, dominated yeah. by by men so I, I, it boggles my mind how how it hard was it must have been it's a very young
1: industry i mean i think it was a virgin territory mm. so that in the early days women during the war for example world war 2 um, were working in encoding at Bletchley Park, mm-hmm. which was the sort of pre-runner of software as I know it. Um, and it was a very vibrant industry. Um, the excitement would, would, would look banal to you. We got excited because we got a photocopier, a photocopier, and it printed white on black, you know. Um, everything was so different, and, and software was given away free with the hardware. So the idea of of Writing software and then selling it was quite alien. So we were breaking new ground, and that really drove us.
0: Mm. What was the outside impression of um, of you as a as a as a female <laughs> People founder? People
1: laughed. They really did. Um, they laughed at my crusade for women. Um, they laughed at the idea of selling software. It's free. Can you sell air? You know? Um, And um, in a way that, again, I'm a very proud person and I didn't want to be ridiculed. And when things got really tough where somebody else might have given up, um, I knew that my success opened the door for a lot of other women. Mm. And um, within a few years, we got 300 staff, um, 297 of whom were women. You know, it was very much a crusade. And... um, That lasted um, until 1975 when Equal Opportunities legislation came in in this country, and it was not um, legal to have a pro-female policy. Mm. So my woman's company had to let the men in.
0: And you started with, I read, £6. Yes.
1: (laughs) But it was financed by my own labour. Sure. You know, for years I didn't draw even expenses. Um, So
0: it was a very slow burn, it's almost uh, hard to fathom how, because of the entrepreneurial world that I've grown up into, where you yeah. raise millions right. and millions of pounds and, you know, you, before you've got a, a profit or a, really mm-hmm. a, a product that fits the market and you inflate the team and then the hope is to sell it within three years or something. Yeah,
1: No, no, no. I definitely wanted to build, a, not a corporation, but I wanted to build this culture, the sort of um organisation that I wanted to work in, that I wanted to live in, that I thought was right for people in a holistic way.
0: And what do you think of the the world of work today?
1: <laughs> well, I'm surprised it hasn't changed more, um, because some of the things that I was doing about uh, uh, job shares, um, about co-ownership, um, about paying people with a cafeteria of benefits, uh, about real... Um, opportunities about team working; um, these things are still being talked about, and I was doing it fifty years ago. So, I in a way, I'm disappointed that it hasn't moved faster, but it's moving
0: mm.
1: in the right direction at least.
0: And so, so what happened to your business? Then you, you started that business, um, and then it was it twenty twenty years. From, from when you, you founded the business to when it sold or was acquired? No, it's forty
1: forty five 45 years before 45 it years. It's a long history. So it's quite different. I mean, it, it employed 8,500 people when it was acquired, um, um, a quarter owned by the staff. So I was doing lots of things in an entrepreneurial way, like getting it into share ownership, mm. uh, getting share ownership I- embedded into the organisation. And that really... Underline the sort of rather collegiate way of working that we always had because with our female start, we worked as teams, we worked multitasking, we worked, we, we, we liked each other. We may not have been in the same office because we all worked from home, but we liked each other. We were friends, it was a team, we were going to do it.
0: You work from home? Yes, all of us. I still work from home. It's really, uh, this is becoming popular now, yeah. the model of remote working. But, I mean,
1: that's what IT allows you to do. We had, in our application forms, which were fairly traditional, but we actually asked, do you have access to a telephone? Hmm. Not do you have a telephone, do you have access? It was a different world. Hmm. But the skills that we used were intellectual skills, coding skills, pattern recognition skills, and people
0: skills. And did you teach yourself to code?
1: Yes, it was before the days
0: of coding books. Mm. It's really, really fascinating. It's almost... It's its, it's only so,
1: one generation back. It's if we forget everything that was yeah. revolutionary in my time, you take for granted. Mm. What just, you're doing now will be think, thought of as quite naive in 50 years' time.
0: Sure, and, and, and it, it's really fascinating because of the industry. And it's such a male... You know, Silicon Valley, if you go to Silicon Valley, it's such a male-dominated place typically and technology as a as a pursuit is so male dominated so the 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 prospect or the thought of being able to create a you know a company worth what billions um from from that era which was um we finished up at 2.8 million dollars blimey it's a lot of money mm-hmm. what do you do with that much money like i mean <laughs> i you know i'm oh, glad ha- you asked that actually. <laughs> No, I mean, like, so, so uh, this is normally a question I, I come to a bit later on, but what has been the, the impact of financial, uh, re- not even financial, re- that much financial um, wealth on you in terms well, of it, happiness and possibilities? And
1: I don't think wealth in any way is correlated with happiness.
0: What What it gives you that
1: is pleasant is choice, choice of how to live. And... I think I've kept my feet on the ground because a lot of wealthy people start living at a different level and are still worried about money because can they afford a bigger yacht or whatever it is. Um, To me, my feet was kept on the ground because our only child was learning disabled. Mm -hmm. And so there were a lot of things we couldn't do if we were going to have a family life with him. And it was quite clear that that's what both of
0: us wanted.
1: But... um,
0: Forgotten your question. I oh, was so, so just about wealth and, and and what what that enables for you in terms of happiness and possibilities and you know because so many people, including me, when I was um, broke uh, growing up, um, just almost fantasized about the day that I would get money and what know, would you what would you do I, with it? I mean, if you'd asked me when I was sixteen or eighteen, I would have said I would have bought a Lamborghini, yes, a big house, yeah. and yeah. and then then I would have been you know exponentially just happy all the time, like a permanent smile. But it doesn't
1: work that way at all. It doesn't
0: work that way, no. (laughs) But I... I'm What it has given me is a lifestyle
1: that suits me in retirement, because I Mm -hmm. did retire at 60, um, in that I now... Uh, enjoy learning to give my money away wisely. So I've turned into an ardent philanthropist. I really enjoy it. That's what I do. I try and do it as a venture philanthropist, really thinking about projects, thinking about things, and starting uh, in an entrepreneurial way, Mm -hmm. three charities and taking them again to sustainability. Mm -hmm. Now, the first charity um, took me 17 years to get financially and managerially independent of me. Uh, The second one, I am a learning person, only took me five years. Mm -hmm. And the third one, only two years. But, you know, it's like running a business except that the metrics are different.
0: Mm -hmm. And what were some of the lessons that you would impart to young women that are trying to make it in their own sort of endeavours or careers or as entrepreneurs today that you learned through your journey that you think are still sort of relevant today? Obviously, I know that the story of you, you know, Saying your name was Steve, um, so that people. (laughs) I think we all have to dissemble
1: a little bit and put
0: the best foot forward. uh, Any way of getting through the door is important. So, if my name, my name, if I'm Shirley, and 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 it's uh, 2020 as it is today, what advice would you give to me as a as a female entrepreneur um, who's who's setting off on my journey to to make it in this in this world?
1: It is much the same as the advice I would give to any young man. Mm Um, to you as Stephen, um, and that is to get into an area that you really enjoy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, get trained in it so that you are um, up to speed, mm-hmm. get retrained so that you're really at the leading edge and know what the sector is all about, mm-hmm. and then just take a risk. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people just are not prepared to take that risk, and it is a risk. Most organis- most. Um, uh, new companies fail, most new projects fail.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, but you can always start another one.
0: People people don't like risk, though, do they? Because... Uh,
1: it... I do, you know. I, I have a very low boredom threshold, and I like to... Um, I, I mean, I sometimes say when people are thinking about jobs, um, to apply for something that is so um, so risky that it you have that frisson of, of fear about it, that's the one to go for. Why is that? But you'll never get bored you know so you know it's
0: going to stretch you and you're gonna let it's good it's, I guess it's a growth opportunity yes. if it's terrifying so, mm. to some degree mm-hmm. is there um why do you think that the world hasn't changed fast enough and because it's it's, it's so fascinating for me to hear that a lot of the, the things that you espoused back back then remote working flexible working shared ownership of c- corporations and 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 even giving your personal wealth to your team these are concepts which we're, as employers, just kind of wrestling with and getting to terms with t- Maybe today. Maybe every
1: generation does that because people are intrinsically selfish. And, and I think today's culture is very much me, me, me. So mm-hmm. anyone that goes outside that um, mm-hmm. is really treading on not virgin ground, well-trodden ground, mm-hmm.
0: um, but nobody really knows what happens. And, and your and your book, I was... um. Very, very fascinated about it, particularly because... Did you find it honest? Everything that you've done, I found honest. Mm-hmm. I was I was literally watching your TED Talk in the car on the way here as well, which was fascinating as well. The book is fascinating to me um, for a number of reasons. The main reason is because I'm in the process of writing a book. Which How I've are you to, tackling it? Uh, so I took myself to a jungle in Indonesia yes. on my own because it's. it feels like it, it would be impossible to write a book whilst I'm running the business mm-hmm. because it's just constant. Um, So I took myself to a jungle in Indonesia, and I sat by the lake for about two weeks, and I, I, I made good progress there with with a clear head over New Year's and Christmas, when no one w- would really be bothering me anyway. You
1: physically wrote yourself. I physically wrote wrote yes. it. I'm about. F- no, I dictated.
0: Okay, I'm about forty percent in. When you wrote this book, were there things that you found out about yourself in hindsight? Or dots that you connected because you wrote the book.
1: Yes, there certainly were, and and the whole concept of of letting go, letting go of the rancor of my childhood, um, to 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 start a, each day afresh. Um, the whole concept of um, letting go of the company once I'd lost control of it. You know, at the time, I found it extremely difficult. Tell me about that. Well, I'd always been the boss. I'd made it, I'd created it, and I was the boss. And gradually, through co-ownership and um, acquisitions, my share of the company dropped. From one time, it was 95% or something, and then we dropped and I finished up with 5%. But when it hit, dropped below the majority shareholder, I was still the major shareholder, but not a majority shareholder, People's attitude changed. There were professional managers running it now. They're the ones whose whose views were taken into account. And I found that a bit, a bit like, I think I mentioned it in the book, King Lear, who uh, once he gives his kingdom away, mm. sorry, this is Shakespeare, maybe you don't know no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you <see. laughs>
1: yeah. Um, You know, once you've lost control of something, you can't necessarily get it back.
0: That's really, I think, relevant to... Every entrepreneur, especially yeah. entrepreneurs these days who raise a lot of investment very mm. quickly and find themselves at the mercy of venture capitalists yeah. and those kinds of things. Um, well, you see, while you've got 51%, you're
1: not vulnerable to that at all. Mm. You don't have to. But once you've lost that, then other people's decisions. Hey? And we floated at a time where I wouldn't have floated. But um,
0: But that was pressure from investors and yes, stakeholders. Yeah, they, they obviously
1: wanted to. Mm. Capitalize.
0: When you look back over your, your professional business career, what are the things that you wish you did differently? And I ask this question because I think it's going to help me. This is a very selfish thing. I'm, I'm I think, in many respects, at the start of my professional business career. And there's a lot of lessons that I'm learning, uh, which I wish I didn't have to learn.
1: <laughs> Without being big headed, I really don't regret much. Mm-hmm. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, But I don't regret things because whatever I do, I do to the best of my ability. I get myself trained. I spend enough time on it. Um, And and so I can't do more than my best. And if it it doesn't succeed, it doesn't worry me. I don't look back and say, oh, if only I'd done this. Mm -hmm. There were some very classic mistakes that I made because I thought I knew better, and that was to replicate our success in the UK in first of all, in Scandinavia, then in Benelux, and f- thirdly in the States, and none of those really took off, they were all more trouble than they were worth. Um, but um, what did take off was India, and we started off well, I started off writing th- theoretical papers about exporting software to India because there was a um, workforce there in, in short supply um, and um, eventually we we had half our people in in, in india and they were very highly skilled so you you never quite know what you've, you've got to be opportunistic about things so we tried that it doesn't work you know it, I'm, I'm a scientist if, if something works i do more of it if something doesn't work i do something else
0: mm-hmm. I, I i still i still am i'm trying to put my finger on where where this this level of confidence and conviction came from because from what i know about the past it it would have been so tremendously difficult for a um for a black entrepreneur for Mm. um uh, a a woman entrepreneur um to to go out an industry which was dominated by typically by white men and 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 I'm really trying to understand where the confidence, where the conviction came from. I don't think
1: it was confidence. I think it was just sheer guts. Guts. Um, I was not confident. I would be petrified going into some of the presentations that I was doing. I would be physically sick sometimes. Um, But what I had was determination and resilience that, you know, if somebody knocks me down, I pick myself up, brush myself down and put a smile on my
0: face and go go ahead. Maybe that's the immigrant thing. Well,
1: I think it's a characteristic of entrepreneurs that Mm. people remember us for our successes. But actually what epitomises the entrepreneurial drive is our ability to cope with failure.
0: What's the most worthwhile thing that you think you've done um, over the last 70 years, the most worthwhile?
1: Probably taking the company into co-ownership.
0: Right. Um, You made a lot of people very wealthy.
1: Um. Yes, I also acted as a role model, not only
0: for women, but also
1: for co-ownership, a lot of people.
0: I read somewhere that you made 70, 70 yes, people Yes, I'm proud of that as well, yes. It's pretty staggering. Puts a lot of pressure on me with my team.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, that, you know, if you share the team, you know, you've got a smaller proportion of a larger cake, which is how people explained it to me, mm-hmm. because I was sort of quite, mm-hmm. didn't really want to let it go.
0: And your your philanthropic endeavours these days... Um, which one are you are you most proud of? It's probably a tricky question to to answer, but is there one particular philanthropic endeavor that you've 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 created or funded that you think that's the thing that I'm most proud of?
1: Well, I've taken three charities in the autism field um, to sustainability. One of them cost me most in in human terms, and one of them cost me most thirty million in in sheer five years of my life Um, but the most strategic one is the last one and it shows I think that I'm learning because it's a research charity. The one you might be interested in though is I co-founded the Oxford Internet Institute Mm. which uh, that was in the year 2000 it actually opened in 2001 and um, that concentrates not on the technology of the internet Uh, but on the social, economic, legal and ethical issues of the internet. And I'm very proud of that, actually, because it's a way in which I've been able to contribute to the sector long, long after I was technically competent.
0: And even that's somewhat ahead of its time. Yeah, I think so. Because, you know, even 2020 we're in now, which Mm -hmm. is almost 20 years later, and the ethical implications and the the social... We're just starting to nibble nibble at them. Yeah. Um, You you talked about the, the... autism charities that you've mm-hmm. you've supported and created. Um, I understand that you had a, you had a son. Yes. And that's, that's yeah. really the sort of, Oh, that's the motivator. The, the motivator. Right. Yeah. The, how did that change your life? You know, you-
1: Oh, phenomenally, my life has gone in a completely different direction. I spend my time now with, with schools and support services and learning disabled people and academe and so on, quite, quite different to how, how I might have imagined. I could see me when I was a child. I would have liked to have been an academic. I've never went to college. No. You haven't either, I think. No. no. Maybe college sort of knocks some of the spark out of people. I'm not sure.
0: It would appear that way to some Mm. degree. I don't Mm. mean to be offensive to anybody, but but I typically think that learning is, I mean, learning in that context is incredibly good for um, information, but maybe not so good for creativity Mm. because you're, Mm. you know, I, I, we would.
1: I mean, nobody really knows where innovation comes from, but I'm sure, um, the universities don't encourage innovation, they encourage rigidity, they encourage um,
0: um, p-
1: perfectionism.
0: And I, I would think that if you're taught how to think
1: mm. too, that's,
0: that's a bit of an issue. Mm. We were saying that in my business, in, in any way, our naivety is responsible for um, our best work yep. or our best... Ideas, nope. yeah. so not knowing how it was supposed to be done, mm. gave birth to things that were considered special. And I, when I th- when I think about innovators that are, exist in the world, like Elon Musk and others, um, it's actually their naivety. Elon Musk talks a lot about how, when he started the, the first his first electric car, everybody told him that you couldn't <laughs> make fast electric cars affordable because. The, couldn't make electric too, cars you know, full stop yeah and, and 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 those that were were incredibly expensive couldn't go far and weren't fast and weren't mm. sexy and so he broke it down to these fundamentals he rejected convention and thought well if you buy the metal on the metal exchange yeah. and these kind of like yeah you can yeah. you can build a new and that requires some level of naivety um, mm. or you know the same sort of guts i guess that you've described
1: because i didn't have first class education Nobody told me what one wasn't supposed to do in business. So yeah. I just went ahead and did it.
0: Yeah, and, that's true. And that's that same naivety, yes. which mm. there must be quite a fine line between being a genius and an idiot. To some <laughs> <degree>. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah. I guess that's how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's how people decide. I'm really, I'm really curious. You know, you've got a, a retrospective clarity on business and life and what matters that I haven't got. Um, but
1: do you read business books?
0: I do, and yes. I I'm naturally curious. Yeah. So I'm 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 really intrigued as to what you think I might not know. <laughs> 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 Cuz it's an unknown unknown to me yeah. of course. So
1: Well, you've got a big smile on your face, and I wonder whether you yet know the sort of tragedies that are going to hit you when Ooh. you're responsible for a lot of staff. You have a death, you have an illness, you have breakaway groups, you have all sorts of things that are really hurtful to you as an individual. And have you gone through that sort of I experience yet? I well long may it be in the future, but I'm sure that is
0: What what do I need to know about those experiences and how to do it?
1: That you are resilient, that you know, you you don't have to go down under that, that Um, There are ways, you know, if you can't go through something, you can go under it or around it or over it or go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if if, um, business doesn't take off, there are other things that you can do. Mm -hmm. And that gives you the confidence to sort of face what's the worst that can happen. I can deal with this.
0: And resilience, I guess, is built like muscle in the gym by repeat uh, survival, I guess, of...
1: Yes, but it's also basic character, I think, that, um, you know, you've got to have good health and energy. Um, I learnt to be healthily selfish after a bit, to actually look after my own well-being and not just health, um, but probably mental health in that not to let things get me down and because um, I find business very tough. hmm um, it's nice looking back on it, you know, and everybody's pats you on the back and says, how terrific. You know? Other other people did it. But what did I do? I'm a leader, not a real manager. And you talk about being selfish there. What does that look like practically? Like so, Learning to say no, because you get a lot of demands on you, and just learning to say no, spending time on yourself, um, spending care and attention, giving care and attention to your family and your nearest and dearest, um, rather than just everything to the business.
0: One of the things that you mentioned earlier was about tragedy and about um, about death and those things. You know, you asked if they had stri- like struck struck me yet. I think I'm somewhat haunted by this idea that someday one of my parents is gonna um, is gonna is gonna pass away, and I will suddenly realize in that moment that I misprioritized what was mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Because I know that I'm giving everything yeah. to to my business now. and It's fine if it just turns out to be a part of your life. But
1: if for whatever reason it then becomes a whole part of your life, then you do something. my goodness, I didn't spend enough time with my parents. I wish I'd done this or had more children or whatever.
0: And do you think those things? Do you think you, you wish you'd spent more time with your parents or your, your certain family members that aren't around anymore?
1: I don't think any parent is happy with how they've brought up their children, in my case, just one child. But they're decisions that I took that I would take again in the similar circumstances. Um, but I think it's worth contemplating some of those issues. And you do know that your parents are going to die and the chances are they will die before you. And to, to actually think, well, what's the worst that can happen? Supposing you had a phone call now um, of, of a death, how would you react? And if you can face that, then you may change the way your life goes or you may be even more determined to continue on the path that you're doing. I mean, I love what I do. And I I think, especially at 86, I'm I'm so lucky to have something to get up for each morning. But other people don't want to live like I do, so it's a very personal choice.
0: Mm. The next point in my diary this week is about the podcast sponsor, which is Boost by Facebook. They are a dedicated one-stop shop for entrepreneurs, for CEOs, for small businesses, job seekers, and anybody with ambition that's looking to thrive in this digital economy. They launched with the aim of creating a place where all of us can understand this new world of digital and social. It can be incredibly intimidating. My mum, I was talking to her about Boost with Facebook the other day. She doesn't know how to use a phone. She doesn't know how to type and she's trying to to run a business in 2020 and compete against people that do. Boost is a place for people like her where she can learn more about the digital economy, about features and skills and training and all of the things that matter, the things that might level the playing field for her as someone that doesn't know about this new world that we live in. You can learn more about this at facebook.com/slash boost with Facebook UK. Um, and if you do check it out, drop me a message and let me know how you find it. I always pop on there every now and then to to, to try and make sure I'm staying ahead of the curve. But yeah, do let me know how you find it. Do you think that entrepreneurship is is somewhat uh, a curse? Because I almost describe it as something that I can't unsee. <laughs> because the way that I live my life is quite neurotic and I'm quite obsessed. And yeah. I think I'm probably not the most social person mm. And I think if people really un- understood the true extent of like my personal obsession with what I'm doing in my business, they would probably describe it as an illness. But something.
1: some of it may come come from you, but some of it is the demands of the business. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to feel that the business had so many demands on me. I was absolutely you know, c- crouched under this, this heavy load that I was carrying. And then a few years later, you learned to delegate a bit more. Things have gone. You had a couple of good things happen. Um, and it all starts to be much more fun, and then something else happens you know you've got a breakaway group and uh, um I mentioned that because the, i've I found that very debilitating what the, was what was that um a group of staff who, knowing the business plans of my business um decided to break away and progress it without the overheads and the baggage of the past, so they started off with a fresh um piece of paper. And um so I lost a lot of staff. I lost an, a, certain contracts were were put at risk. Um, and uh, I found that pretty depressing. Um, but again, you learn to deal with it and it's just the way the business goes. I'm surprised that you're you're writing a book yet, because I would have thought it was so early on or is this just chapters one it's and not, two?
0: It's not actually heavily about my business story the 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 book is in essence talking more about the journey from being 12 years old and being this yes. broke kid that wanted to get yeah. successful and wealthy and whatever else because my family were bankrupt and we didn't have any money ever to going on that journey of believing that I would become super happy if I just managed to achieve yeah. these things I wrote in my diary, which was I wanted to be a millionaire before I was 25. You set um, that as an actual target. so I can show you the piece of paper. It says yeah. uh, four goals before I'm 25. and I wrote this when I was 18. I want to be a millionaire. I want a Range Rover to be my f- first car. I didn't have a driving license, never driven in my life. I wanted to have a girlfriend, a long-term girlfriend, because again, my, yeah. the toxic relationship between my parents made me despise <laughs> relationships. And the last thing was I wanted to work on my body image because I was incredibly skinny and short. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just really the journey from there to getting to So it's more 26. about
1: confidence and growing, growing
0: up. And just realizing that everything I thought was really wrong. And mm. and also uh, having the self awareness to suddenly realize why I wrote that I wanted a million yeah. quid in a fast car and how wrong I was upon getting those things. Oh, we we, about we, we those would things. still like to have some of those things. I mean, but, but for different reasons, right? It, for much more intrinsically motivated yeah. reasons. Before it was because, except that's what everything. Yeah. You know, I thought maybe me, like, me, me. Jasmine in school would would, yeah. would date me if I had a range, you know. Yeah and the reason i'm writing it while i'm young is because i think that empowers the message a little bit more mm. being able to say that when i'm 26 or 27 to other 26 and 27 year olds is much more Good. powerful than i think yeah. in that moment so it was not the perfect timing and it's not that book it's not this book no. um it's just a message really to, to to younger audiences about um understanding the so
1: it, it, the fact that it's about Business is almost incidental to yeah, your completely. growth pattern, yeah. completely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so you wouldn't market it as a
0: business, I wouldn't say it was a business book, no, no. and I don't think the publisher would say that yeah. either. It's more about Inspir- inspiration from like a young life, yeah. And um, you'd, I that's why I say, I know I don't know everything now, I know this because so, and the reason I know I don't know everything is because I thought I knew everything when I was like 25 <laughs> and then 24 <laughs> and 23, and you and you change so drastically, and that's why I find it, it was so. Keen to come here and meet you because the wisdom you have is is would be. I mean, there's nothing I could do to pay for such wisdom, but I mean, this is one way of trying to get some of it. It's you know coming here and asking you questions. So, yeah, on that point of family, it's it's um it's something that I think a lot about. Um, I also I also understand the importance of really being mission orientated because. Where am I trying to get to? What sort of a person am I trying to be? Exactly. Because, I mean, that's what keeps you going for mm. 30, 40 years, I'm guessing, right? Having that genuine purpose behind what you're doing. I'm always
1: sorry for people who don't have a per- per- purpose. Uh, my purpose has changed several times in my life, um, but I've always had a purpose
0: mm-hmm. building up the company. And what were your purposes across the years? How How, how did they change?
1: I think, like you, first of all, I wanted to get out of poverty. And um, it was clear, presumably from what people told me, that learning and education was the best way out of poverty. So I was very keen to do well at school. I was very keen to um, go to university, which I didn't manage. Um, And that was a dream that was put on hold. Um, Now I've got honorary degrees in Cambridge and goodness knows what. Um, but they don't really give me a lot of pleasure because life has moved on. What I want now is um, a, a role in the philanthropic field, the, the feeling that I have made the world a better place, um, and that is, that's pretty strong. There's always things that you can do, yeah. always ways in which you can cut costs by
0: 10%. Always the and when you and when you when you get out of bed these days what's the what's your typical day like now
1: quite a lot of time spent at this desk because I find going out um I don't travel a great deal now um went to Europe once last year i think um but I try and pace myself so that I do the things that I want to do and don't get stuck with a lot of sludge. So, you know, I have people that do my accounts and people who do my look after the house for me and, and um, I have a very easy life, except when I'm sitting usually alone at my desk, which is where innovation comes from. I'm sure it's a solitary activity. Um, everything else is teamwork, but the innovation comes from one individual one spark you capture it
0: so true <laughs> very true consensus doesn't really come up with uh, doesn't produce <laughs> innovation does it and yet all the
1: time we're t- teaching young people to work as teams because you need these complementary skills to do most things
0: it's it's almost quite yeah it's 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 against the professional narrative to for one person to come up with the idea yeah. and tell the others yeah. what the idea yeah. is I've found in my own organization that working in really small teams, so I might have an idea and then pulling together like three or four people to, to develop it to develop it at mm-hmm. pace. If we go to fifteen people, twenty yeah. people, <laughs> yeah. you know, nothing happens. What I
1: found very disappointing was I, I went into software because I really do find it fascinating and in the early days you needed mathematics to do it as well, which is t- totally and utterly absorbing once you get lost in the mathematical uh, algorithms, technology was what I wanted to do. And you start off one person, two persons, mm. five persons, and very, very quickly, you're having to delegate the bit that you really love, the software. And I got landed with the tax, the human resources, the, the financing, the, the the dealing with HR issues. I mean, it's very, that happened so quickly. Mm. And um, that's a shame because the motivation then has to come from something else.
0: And that's that happens in a, a lot of businesses. I think it's pretty much happened in mine. Good thing
1: uh,
0: it must do. Where the, the the founder probably has a very unique skill, and then yeah. they have, in order to not be a bottleneck to the, own, yeah. the growth of the they business, they have to move out of the way yeah. and delegate to other people. Yeah. Something I definitely struggled with mm. delegation. And I mean, at the scale you were at with eight thousand people. So you start to be like a corporate person,
1: you know. You're learning to discuss the quarterly results, and, and, and
0: yeah, oh, it's such a bore. <laughs> and what do you think of entrepreneurship these days? Because in our in our culture now, it's like this somewhat rock star c- career choice where it's over, like tremendously glamorized, and people don't talk a lot about the the cost, whether that's an emotional or mental health or you know, physical costs, whatever it might be. People don't talk enough about that. And part of the reason I started this podcast was because I wanted to shine a bit of a light on the non-glamorous.
1: But you see, who is going to let you publicise the failures? Mm. You know, we might glancing comment about various failures that we've had, but by, by instinct we're always promoting not only today's success, but what mm. do you want to do tomorrow and the day after?
0: Was there ever a moment when you were stuck building your business where you thought that you were finished? Yes, yes. And I can remember
1: um, sitting in our living room, actually rocking with some sort of fear of what am I going to do? What can I do? What can I do? Yeah, Because, if some, because something had happened? I was, it was a recession and I was going out of business, basically. I'd got to the stage of selling personal items to get money to keep, keep us going. Um, so it, it's that's part of the cost, as far as I was concerned. And you will have comparable costs in different ways.
0: Was there ever a moment where you wished you could trade your entrepreneurial, obsessive, rocking-in-your-chair life for a more blissful ignorance of <laughs> There's being... There's a lot to be said for ignorance. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. If you didn't have to, if you didn't even know about the entrepreneurial lifestyle and you could just you know come to work at nine and leave at five and then and no then... I,
1: I i have this very low board the threshold it would really be awful. I remember at one stage i i had a beast of a boss actually um and he, he he gave me tasks that I didn't like and basically I wasn't trained or competent to do so and so I was time watching i'd got to get through from nine to about ten desperately try and life was so it was the black dog was sort of hanging around you um, i don't want that
0: and what age was that how old are you then 30 30
1: mm. no i had my child then earlier than that mid 20s
0: mid 20s what would you say to somebody that's in a job now that that they despise because they've got a boss get like out, that get out get out get out what if they say to you, they say, Do you know, but I've got a mortgage to pay and I've got this, so...
1: So you've got a mortgage to pay.
0: And they say, so I feel like I can't leave because my mortgage and my I've got this kid to pay for and my car and...
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there obviously are situations where it's very difficult to make a career change. But I think the younger you are and the the fewer responsibilities you have, the easier it is to make a free choice for you that's right for you now. Now, you may look back in 10 years' time and so say, I wish I'd have thought of something else. Um, but you you do have a free choice.
0: Even in the context of all those sort of practical obligations, you think you have to get out. You have to find a way out. You have to not give up the fight of finding a way out.
1: Well, you mustn't give up the fight, must you? Otherwise, you really are finished.
0: Just in, it was, I just find that topic very interesting because a lot of people that message me will say, I'm miserable, but... but- and then it's worth, name, it, but,
1: worth it. Worth it because look at my nice car, my nice home. And, so and even
0: but yeah. I'm almost pinned down because of all these yeah. obligations, all these uh, A lot of wealthy people
1: still get pinned down mm. by, by changing a lifestyle to, mm. to a level where again they're having to think about spend time with their finance people.
0: We've we've just um taken a little tour through your lovely home here and it's just filled with such beautiful art. And um typically when you think about software and technology and those things, you don't think those people are so into art, and that was quite surprising to me because I don't know what I was expecting but um do you, do you understand the i guess the naive <laughs> assumption I made there was that well it,
1: art is patterns and different senses you've got sight and smell and hearing my husband's more keen on music and i like music but i mean he's the one that really knows about it um but i i i feel as if i've i'm hungry if i don't see good art and and i like the contemporary work i also liked op art maybe i got into the contemporary art to, through op art which is this sort of mm. cubist and and uh, but um
0: did your love for art manifest itself at all in your professional life
1: uh i don't think so really i all... used to put works of art into the into the business i don't think other people appreciated them very much but i th- i thought it gave a different dimension to the business
0: i read i read that you've donated all of your art to um paintings in hospitals paintings yes. in hospitals yeah incredibly generous
1: well it, it, it we were talking about how difficult it is to do if you have responsibilities it's very much easier our son is dead there's nothing you know what else would i do with the money mm. um, could leave it to the rspca but i'd much rather spend it in a like a venture philanthropist merely really thinking what well, that needs doing and i could make that into that
0: mm. and what, what what do you what are you planning to do with your wealth when when you go outside of that is it you, it all goes to charity charity
1: yeah it's a, it's a... And that also gives it quite a nice atmosphere because people are very sycophantic
0: mm-hmm. with people
1: who are known to be wealthy, mm-hmm. um, and um, it's quite clear. Everybody knows it's going to charity, it's going to the research charity, mm. and um, it's decided.
0: It's um, it's a it's a pretty pretty interesting phenomenon that you know philanthropy tends to take place later in people's lives. Is there? Do you think that's the correct way round? For, even for someone like me, I try and, you know, I remember one day I asked myself, I said, if I could have over the last five years of building my business, maybe saved five people's lives, mm-hmm. would that have been a more worthwhile pursuit than building? And what
1: a- did you decide?
0: I decided that because I poured into myself, I will have more to pour out for others later, yeah. um, if that makes sense. So,
1: Most people in your position, do make that type of decision that they're saying, I'm going to spend a portion of my life making the money and and, and then start spending it. But the real joy of giving is when it becomes part of your your life, part of your um, whole being, and that you're always thinking in terms about what is that person doing in the street? Why are they not in a hostel? Why is he not in work? You know, you start really thinking all the time, well, I could make that little one happen, mm. um, not just make a lot of money. And then.
0: Mm. And on your book, a little birdie told me that this was being made into a movie.
1: Indeed, yes.
0: That's um, pretty it's easy.
1: only taken, everything in business takes a long time. It's only taken, what, six years
0: <laughs> six <laughs> to get years. to this
1: stage. We thought they were going to start actual filming this year, but I don't think they will. I think it's going to be 2021. But it's such fun to think of it being um, going through another artistic process, really.
0: it's, uh, it's my, It must be mind-boggling for you as uh, an entrepreneur to, to to know that your life is going to be made into a movie. It would be
1: lovely, wouldn't it? Yes. Looking forward to it. I, I keep saying,
0: though, get it soon. I want to see it happen. I want to. And, and you know who it's being produced by. And... Yes,
1: we have Damien Jones as the producer. And he did. Lady in the Van, Mm -hmm. and he did uh, The Iron Lady. Um, So I'm in good company.
0: That's incredible. Really, really, really incredible. And I can't, if, you know, knowing your story as I know it, it will make it such a brilliant movie. I hope it will.
1: I think some of it is social history as well, because with the emphasis on um, the years, the early years in business when there was this 100% female company sort of struggling to. Make a mark in
0: the world. It's almost like the suffragettes of entrepreneurship yes. in some, yeah. in some respect. What can we do as employers to correct the social sort of injustices as as they relate to gender inequality and such today? What more? What more should we be doing? We've seen the rise in this Me Too movement, which yes. is you know, that, that's made quite a, a lot, yeah. made quite a difference. Yeah, made
1: quite a difference. Because uh, people are now aware that pe- women are coming forward mm-hmm. and other minorities, because women behave as a minority or have been, but they're now coming forward when things are not acceptable and people are listening to them. Um, but we still have a long way to go. The- I think the businesses also are learning that it's not just the bottom line, that, it, that they, it's not the only metric that, that matters, um, but that they need their branding depends on... How people view them, their employment practices, um, their corporate social mm-hmm. responsibility, the way in which they source their materials. These are things that customers are interested in, and so it does go to the bottom line. Um, and that is a big change. Now, you do your social um, marketing and branding. It's very equivalent to, to some of the charitable work.
0: Mm. Yeah, and as you say, the, the world is um, – I've seen the world change even in my lifetime because once upon a time, corporations were like black boxes and you couldn't see inside. All you is, saw was what yeah. they produced. Now we have to be all transparent, can, yeah. yeah. Because, of, I mean, social media has played a huge role yes. in that because all of your employees have – Access to Access to the yeah. internet and they can say yeah. whatever. They can post a photo of whatever's happening. They can write a testimonial about you online. Mm-hmm. So internal company culture yeah. has now become brand. Yeah. As mm-hmm. you say, and brand is the yeah. bottom line. Say you had a dinner party in this, in this room here and you could, there's two, so we, we, we occupied two seats at this table and there was four other seats and you could invite anybody from history, um, dead or alive, um, anybody you want. Who would you invite and why? Four seats, and also, what what are we going to eat? Oh, I, I don't know anything about food. Um, <laughs> I
1: would not like Michelle Obama. I think she's a very interesting woman who uh, would would probably make a good dinner party guest. Mm-hmm. Um, Nelson Mandela, because I think the way in which his his level of forgiveness is is just so wonderful that I and and I've read two of his books now um and the third one winston churchill has to be
0: one more i'm going to need winston <laughs> churchill
1: mother teresa mother teresa <laughs> yeah. again it's these inspirational people you 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 get inspiration from other people and mother teresa's ability to love um is so all embracing that i would like to
0: experience it it's two things i just- I'm really surprised your husband didn't get an invite, which I think he, he might be. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's very antisocial. <laughs> okay. And the last one was just a point about forgiveness. And um, why is forgiveness important?
1: Well, the, the title of my book, Let It Go, is something to do with, with it's a Buddhist principle of let it go. Don't let the rancor of the past spoil the present. Don't hang on to things when you can give them away. Um, and forgiveness is one of those things that if, if you can for, genuinely forgive somebody for how they've hurt you or whatever it is the world all the pain goes amazing thank you so much
0: Steve. it's been a great pleasure <laughs> dame stephanie shirley for for the time today it's, it feels like a tremendous honor to get to meet you and talk to you thank you and um i am incredibly excited about your movie coming out which I think is just the most incredible thing ever. I think it's probably somewhere inside every entrepreneur's mind, uh, a dream to, to have such a mm-hmm. thing created about them. So, um, But I think it's in this case, definitely um, deserving. And um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I, I feel indebted to you for allowing me to come here and speak to you. So That's thank lovely. you. That's lovely. I've very nicely said. And let it go. Your, your, your book, My Extraordinary Story, From Refugee to Entrepreneur to Philanthropist. Everybody can get everywhere and I highly recommend that they do. So thank okay. you. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so Steve.